So Exodus 16, starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it, until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away.
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save what is, whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Hi, this is from John six, twenty-five to 40. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, for food, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give so that we might see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world, life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at that last day. We've already talked about this phrase, Jehovah Jireh, my God provides. The Lord, my provider. So more specifically, this phrase means on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So it's the name, I'm sure most of you know, that Abraham gave to the place that God took him to and asked him to sacrifice Isaac, 
his son. And of course, it was very much a a last minute save on the part of God who provided the lamb for the sacrifice that spared Isaac's life. And it was that place that Abraham named the Lord will provide. And it's the name of a place, but also it's a, a, a name of God. And as Rosemary so eloquently demonstrated in the prayers of intercession, these names of God give us a glimpse into the character of God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. So the two passages that we heard tonight had a a similarity that struck me. In both of these passages, we've got people grumbling, grumbling people. Uh, And for all the songs that we sing about how we're going to trust in God and in the darkest places and all that, and we tend to be singing those songs in the relative comfort of the church, don't we? Um, And the reality often is when things get really tough, maybe we, like the people in the readings that we've heard this evening, join in the grumbling a little bit. The Israelites in that reading from Exodus are so quick to forget the miracles of the escape from Egypt. They're moaning to Moses, why did you bring us here, to die in the desert? And for some of us, maybe you've never had powerful experiences of God and you kind of doubt and you're a little bit unsure, then that kind of cry makes sense, doesn't it? Why did you bring me here? If you're even there, why did you bring me here? Prove yourself to me. But remember, these are the people that have just seen all that amazing stuff uh, that liberated them from Egypt. These are people who've really, really recently witnessed the incredible power and presence of God. They've seen him demonstrate his care for them and express his vision for their future and prove it in signs and in wonders. These are the people who saw the miracle of the Passover, who hid in their homes with the blood over the door as the firstborn of every other family was slaughtered and their children were spared. These are the people that escaped through a parted sea only to watch their enemies crushed by the waves the minute they got to the dry land. And yet, they're still not really sure if God's really there and if God's really on their side. They still grumble at God's apparent lack of provision. I find this quite incredible. In the passage from John, it's the Jews and the teachers of the law that grumble in response to what Jesus teaches. The teaching that Jesus brings in this passage, that he is the bread of life, seems to stir a huge amount of controversy. These simple words seem to stir a huge uproar. In just the chapter before, immediately preceding and kind of chronologically fairly soon before, Jesus managed to feed thousands of people with a few bits of bread. And it kind of goes fairly unnoticed. But these words cause uproar in the religious leaders. And Jesus' criticism of the crowd is that they're seeking him out because they've had the fill of bread. That's what he means. You're not following me because you witnessed the amazing miracle and you recognize that I'm God. You quite like that I gave you a picnic and you want some more. And he's urging them, seek out your spiritual needs. 
This God, this Jehovah Jireh, provides so much more than just bread for you. If you're hungry, be hungry for the food that doesn't spoil. That's Jesus' message to the people um, then, and I think his message to us now. And I think both these stories demonstrate that we have a God who hears us when we grumble, (laughs) a God who is interested in our physical needs, but actually is more interested in our spiritual needs. And he's more than capable of meeting both our physical and our spiritual needs. So let us have a look together at that account in Exodus 16. So the whole of the Israel community sets out from Elam and come to the desert. Okay, so we might imagine at this point that they're starving in the desert and that's why they're grumpy. And we might think, okay, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They've been striving in the desert and they're starving. Look at the bit just before, at the end of verse 15. The bit that they'd just come from, which was Elim, where they'd literally been for the three weeks since, the whole kind of amazing thing with the, you know, dead children and the other families and the crashing of the waves and all the incredible things. They'd been in Elim, which is um, described... Let me see it. Mm-mm-mm. I can't see it now, typically, can I? At 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Okay? So they'd spent a few weeks in a pretty much perfect campsite. Beautiful springs of fresh water, lovely palm trees, chilling out. You know, you hope swapping stories about all the amazing things that God had just done, and isn't it awesome, and he's called us, and he's got this purpose for us. And literally, the moment that they then get into the desert, because Moses says, come on, (laughs) it's time to move on from the lovely springs and the palm trees, they start grumbling. So they haven't really been on their feet for weeks and weeks and years and years. They literally have just been in that place where they've seen God's provision. They've been under the palm trees, lovely springs. First day in the desert, and we get the grumbles out. That's kind of, I, 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 I empathize with that sort of attitude, I have to say. And um, do you notice as well, the whole community grumbles against Moses and Aaron. Really interesting. Um, they are grumbling against their leaders. And as you heard in Gordon's very generous and slightly embarrassing introduction, I spend time training leaders. This is the lot of the leader to have your people grumble against you. You can't rest on the fact that didn't you notice the whole kind of many plagues, you know, staff, water, springs, palm trees. No, because today we're in a desert, so we're grumbling. Um, and it's a, the grumble is against Moses and against Aaron, uh, against men in their 80s who were pretty reluctant leaders, frankly, who the community kind of goaded into being their leaders, who weren't the best equipped, who weren't the most eloquent, who did what they did because God told them to do it, who were incredibly faithful people, and these are the people that the community grumble against. If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert. Really? Now, I don't keep a prayer journal. I know some people might find that very shocking and unholy. I've tried. It doesn't really work for me. But I know lots of people that keep prayer journals, and actually they find it incredibly encouraging to look back at the prayers that they've prayed and see how God answered them. 
And I think in this situation, Moses and Aaron probably really wished that the people of Israel had been keeping some prayer journals. Because they would have looked back over the generations of captivity and slavery where they cried out to God for their freedom. And they cried out to God for their liberty and they cried out to God to do something against the oppression. And they said, all we want, God, is for the freedom to worship you. All we want, Lord, is your presence. All we want is to be where you want us to be, where there's nothing in the way, where there's no slavery, where we're free. And God said, okay, let's do this. And in fairly dramatic style, as we've already discussed, he takes them out of Egypt. They could have looked back over that. And they could have remembered that when Moses went to Pharaoh, he asked for what the people had asked him for. Let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. That's what they wanted. It's what they asked for. Yes, there was a promise of a land of milk and honey and all those things to follow, but actually the cry of Moses to Pharaoh was, let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. That was what their ambition was, just an unrestricted relationship with God. And it seems to me, if you have a look sort of at verses 3 and 4, that there's something missing. This is my personal edit of the Bible, which I know is deeply dodgy, so forgive me. See, because if I'd have been the leader at that point, somewhere between verses 3 and 4, I would have inserted a reminder about how all these people have been led out of slavery so that they could be free to worship, that the exact point that they were in the desert was so that they could have their liberty and their worship of God. I would suggest probably not very politely that actually maybe worship rather than grumbling in this situation would be an appropriate response. I would probably point to the many examples of God's presence and God's mercy and God's provision and tell them off for demanding more frankly, uh, and I would probably have suggested that a modicum of gratitude would be in order. Um, But maybe that bit got lost in the edit. Or maybe Moses was a better and more patient leader than I would have been. Or maybe what we're seeing here is a kindness of God, whose very nature is to provide for his people. Or maybe this is God's kindness to Moses, who frankly has been through quite enough already and would be on the receiving end of a rebellious people if something wasn't done. Because what we read next is the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. So this is what we learn about the character of God. When his people are downcast, ungrateful and grumbling, he notices And he responds, and he rains down bread from heaven. This is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. But notice what he provides. He provides bread, and he provides meat, and he provides his presence. There's still another 40 years in the desert to come, though. Because when Moses tells the people what God is going to do, he says this. He says, in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. And I think this is the lesson for us. Because when God provides for us, if our eyes are open, we can actually catch a glimpse of his glory. 
when the people of Israel saw was the bread on the ground. And what Moses was urging them to see was the glory of God. Not just to eat the bread, but to know Jehovah Jireh. And I think quite a lot of that 40 years in the desert, quite a lot of that hardship, was to bring them to a place where God's provision of the most basic things and God's presence and God's glory had to be sufficient for them. And I know I'm always on shaky ground if I sort of preach about God's provision because there's always somebody who's going through something awful who doesn't have the thing that they think that God has promised them or is hurt or not been healed. And it's a really difficult thing. But my, the only thing I can really do is speak from my personal experience that often in the darkest, most broken, most ill of places... When I really do get to, all I've got is God's presence and some bread. (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't choose to be in those places again, any of them. But some of the most powerful encounters of God and some of the closest times that I felt to his spirit have been in those places. And I think that's what he was teaching the people of Israel. And I think they got this at first in verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. So we're told later in this chapter that this provision, this pattern of six days, morning and evening, the food will provided, the seventh day they eat what they've collected, carried on for the full 40 years in the desert. And I wonder if for every day of those 40 years, they actually saw the glory of God or whether they got a bit used to the provision and it became so routine that they failed to see it. Um, I don't think I've told the story here before. Apologies if I have. Uh, When I very first started working in the civil service, I had a pass to go into parliament. Wow. Wow. Oh my goodness, day one and day two, I was just overawed with the beauty and the splendor of this building, of this place, of this presence. I don't know if anyone's ever been in there, but it's phenomenal. You, you kind of have to stop and look because the ceilings are beautiful and the paintings are beautiful and everything is just stunning and it's things that you've only seen on telly and they're actually real and it's full of people that you've kind of never seen because they're only on telly and people who you've heard on the radio and there's just kind of people that you recognise everywhere and the whole thing is overwhelming and you just stand and you think, wow, this is amazing. By about week two... When you're in a rush with your bundles of papers and you're trying to get the stuff and you're trying to get to the um, uh, sorting mail bit where you have to leave things for people, which is on the other side of Central Lobby, and there's all these idiots standing about, staring at the blooming ceiling, you think, for goodness sake, (laughs) move out the way, got work to do. And I mean, I kind of wonder, did the Israelites manage to notice the glory of God every day for 40 years with the provision? Do we manage to notice in all the many things, the confetti from heaven, that with God's provision comes his glory? 
remember that they didn't stay in the desert. It probably felt like they were there for forever, but they weren't. Because just because God is providing for today, it doesn't mean that there's not more to come, that there's not better. So it's not right necessarily to be comfortable. Um, but there was this, this provision was set up as a test, a measure for each person, just, just taking off for each day. And those that disobeyed were punished, not just with the anger of Moses, but with the smelly, maggoty food that they had to clear out of their tent. And just the one magical exception from this to prove that it was God and it wasn't just the heat of the desert that was causing the stuff to rot, that on the Sabbath, when they kept it, it was still good the next day. So what's God teaching them? So if God's provision is synonymous with his character, we need to trust that it doesn't run out. We don't need to hoard it and store it, nervous that tomorrow we're going to find God lacking. I sympathize with the instinct of Peter. When he saw Jesus appear in his glory, when he saw that vision of of Jesus alongside Elijah and Moses, he wanted to build a shelter. He wanted to capture it. He wanted to preserve it forever. And Jesus said, no, because tomorrow (laughs) I'm still going to be here. We don't need to make a shrine to a temporary experience of God's presence because he is a living God and by his spirit he lives within us. We don't need to fear that tomorrow his provision is going to run out. And Jesus specifically warns us against the futility of working for bread that spoils. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Let us be wary of the equivalent of storing up food that's going to decay. What are we working for? What are we investing in? Are we hoarding things because we don't trust that God's going to provide tomorrow? Let's also learn the pattern of work and rest. This bread that comes from heaven, God's provision for us is rest sometimes as much as work. And that's why it's When Jesus describes himself as the bread that comes down from heaven, the reason it's such an inflammatory statement is that he's saying, I am the bread. I am God's provision. I am the glory of God. I am everything that you need. It was manna, a little piece of that bread that they kept in the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred box. It was kept for generations uh, of the Israelite people. It was the physical essence of the presence and the provision of the glory of God. And this is what Jesus is claiming. This is me. I am the bread that came down for heaven. He's challenging them to accept and recognize all that he is. And that's the challenge that we face tonight. We might not have minds capable of understanding all that he is necessarily. But are we willing to open our hearts? Are we willing to say yes to a God who is interested in so much more than our physical needs, who promises to give us so much more than just bread for the day? Are we willing to trust our lives to a God who hears the cries of the enslaved and sees the pain of those that suffer? Often he does intervene, often without recognition or appreciation, and he meets our physical needs. But yet he has a greater plan and purpose for us. That we lived in a restored relationship with him, where we recognize his provision and where we see his glory. So my challenge and my prayer for us this evening is that we go beyond petitioning God for stuff. Okay, that's fine. We can do it. But can we take a step 
beyond that. Not just receiving God's provision, but knowing him as provider. Being in that relationship where we trust him with everything that we have and we trust him to provide everything that we need. In that account of Abraham on the top of the mountain, that's what I see. When you see Abraham sees the lamb caught in the brambles, it's not just, oh yeah, God, thanks. He, he actually knows God as his provider, doesn't he? There's a change, there's a revelation of God's character. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So let us come before this God who provides graciously for all our needs and most graciously provides Jesus as a sacrifice in our place that we can trust completely, that we can have liberty, that we can have a restored relationship with the living God. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for all that you are and all that you provide for us. We give to you the words that have been spoken and the songs that have been sung and the deepest cries of our hearts, the thoughts that have remained quietly inside our minds during this service, Lord God, and we hand them over to you, Lord. Would you help us know you as our provider? By your spirit, Lord God, would you help us just take that next step, wherever we are on our journey with you, to trusting you and knowing you just a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. So shall we close by singing Everlasting God? Shall we stand together and sing?